0: Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of 2 Samuel and the 13th chapter. We're heaven-bound with a hammer down tonight. How many glad you're saved? Raise your hand. It's good to be under the spout where the glory comes out. And I believe this microphone is live right here, is it? All right, we're on. Wonderful, wonderful. And I'm glad to be here, and as the pastor has already mentioned, it's strange... A couple of strange things about this meeting. One is that you would have three preachers in one week in a church this size. Another is that you would have two singing groups in a church this size in one week. Uh, the second strange thing is this, uh, and that is that we would be so intertwined in our relationships. I was assistant pastor to Bobby Robertson for seven and a half years, and I called him my pastor. And then Terry Angel came to work with me, as, actually, before he graduated uh, from um, Howes Anderson College in Crown Point, Indiana. He was with me for 10 years. His wife was 14 when I organized the church, 32 years ago this September. And uh, she went away to college and uh, met Terry, and I married him. And then later, I called him to be my assistant pastor. And he was with me for 10 years, and... Um, so I'm very close to Pastor Terry Angel. I preach for him. He preaches for me. And then, of course, uh, the Fairhaven group. I was—I just did a quick check on my little palm pilot there. And I noticed in one eight-year period, I preached nine times at Fairhaven in one eight-year period stretch. And uh know Dr. Vogelin, love Dr. Vogelin, and all the good work there. And so, and then, of course, the employees are members of my church. And I always love to be where they are. Even if they're in my church, oftentimes we'll go over to McDonald's after service and uh, we'll have a Big Mac. I'm like Dr. Curtis Hudson said years ago, I've eaten so many Big Macs in my life, I- I've got arches in my back. You've got to pray for me. And, uh, but we love to fellowship uh, with the athletes. I said to Brother Steve a while ago, I had, this, I had it narrowed down to four sermons just a few minutes ago. And I said to Brother Steve, I said, Brother Steve, I've never preached here before. These folks never heard anything I've ever preached. He says, I've never heard anything you've ever preached either. And I said, no, and I've never heard anything you ever sang either. Uh, either. And, uh, but the truth of the matter is, he's heard about everything I've ever preached. He gets my tapes, uh, even from my regular pulpit, and listens to them while he's out on the road. And I've heard about everything he's ever sung, but we still enjoy each other. Uh, We really do, and I want to thank you for having me with all the wonderful preaching that's already gone on here before. It's amazing that you'd want me to come, and I want to thank you for letting me come. Uh, The the Epleys are a blessing, and every time when they get done singing, I feel like I'm doing something unnecessary to be up But uh, there's nothing in the world ever going to take the place of preaching. As great as the singing may be, as great as all the things that go on may be, it's amazing that there's nothing that takes the place of preaching. And I preach all over the country. I mean, in all over the country and sometimes out of the country. I've been in several foreign countries preaching. I've preached in Germany and Iceland and Canada and and, uh, Jerusalem and and uh, and Mexico and here and yonder. And uh, I preach in big churches and little churches and city churches and country churches and, and poor churches and rich churches and all kinds of churches and white churches and black churches. I've got black churches. I, I preach with Tommy Steele in Concord, North Carolina. He's run about 850. I go there and preach for him. I'm the only white person there. And you say, what do you do when you get in a situation like that? I behave myself. What do you mean, what do I do? And uh, I preach in all kinds of churches. I preach in churches where black folks are not there because there's no black folks in the area. I preach in churches where there's no white folks there at all, all black churches. I preach in all kinds of churches. I preach in Hispanic churches. I preached in churches where there was no Americans there. And uh, I've been in an unusual place. There's a place in Illinois not far from us called Normal Illinois. How many ever heard of Normal Illinois? Raise your hand. How many are aware of the fact that there's a place near normal Illinois, Illinois, a little small town called Oblong? Raise your hand. Several of you know that. Did you know that in the normal p- paper, the, they, they were announcing who got married and who died and who got buried? And this actual heading was in the normal paper. It says, Normal Boy Marries Oblong Girl. And uh, they, they got all mixed up there. But anyway... Uh, it's wonderful uh, to be here with you, and I'm going to preach from 2 Samuel chapter number 13, and uh, I love the Bible. I love all of the, I believe it too. How many believe all of the Bible? Raise your hand. And uh, I, I remember hearing of an old country preacher that got up and he uh, was reading his text, and some of you, you've never been out of the city, you don't know country people. And I, I've been way back in the hills where they sing their sermons and where they gap when they preach. We call them windsuckers, uh, and they get to preaching, uh, like this, uh, and, uh, this country preacher was reading his text. He was reading from the book of Genesis and he read, and he made her to be, and he turned the page. When he thought he turned a page. He turned, Two instead of one. They were stuck together. And here's what he read. And he made her to be 152 cubits long, 100 cubits wide, 75 cubits tall, and he put a window in the top thereof. He stopped and stared at it a minute. He looked up bewildered and he said, Folks, I wouldn't believe that myself if it wasn't in the Bible. And, uh, but he believed it all, and I believe it all. And uh, so we're going to preach it now. 2 Samuel chapter number 13. Everybody stand up. Stand up for Jesus Ye soldiers of the cross, hopefully this will not be a Texas Longhorn sermon. Somebody said, What's a Texas Longhorn sermon? A point here, a point here, and a whole lot of bull in between. No, I hope this won't be that type. The truth of the matter is, I've never preached here before in my life. I've never, 20 years, I guess 18 or 20 years ago, I preached in Waukesha uh, for a church there, years and years ago, Fox River Baptist Church. Can anybody remember that pastor's name? Can you remember? Pastor and I was trying to remember. Neither one of us could remember. Fox River Baptist. I don't don't even know if the church exists now. Probably not. But it was a small starting church there. And nobody can remember. But it was 18 or 20 years ago. And so I'm uh, all fresh in this area. And strange that I would do this. But I pray. Sometimes I come to the service and don't know what I'm going to preach. And I came into the service, I looked uh, around, and, uh, uh, I, I, the Lord impressed this met and I, it's an oldie-goldie. I pr- first preached this sermon 30 years ago. Uh, actually, it was over, I preached it before I came to Iowa, 31 years ago, and, uh, I rarely preach it anymore. Uh, it's an old, old sermon, but uh, one I feel led to preach tonight. And so I want to preach to you from 2 Samuel chapter number 13. I want you to follow with me now and uh, as I read. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And the Bible says that Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her, but Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not... um, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto... Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come, and give me meat, and dress the meat in my sight, that I may eat it and uh, see it and eat it at her hand. So Amnon lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to see him, Amnon said to the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat it at her hand. And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. So Tamar went to her brother Absalom's house, Amnon's house, and he was laid down. And she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have out all the men from me. And they went out every man from him. And Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the meat into the chamber that I may eat of thine hand. And Tamar took of the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon her brother. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. And I, whether shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her, Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. Then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. I'm telling you, for people that think that lust is love, check that out. This woman, get her out of here. I don't want to see her anymore. Let me pause right here and say something that has nothing to do with really where I'm going in the sermon. Lust is not love. I see children. I see young people. I see uh, people of all ages here. Lust is not love. Remember this. Jacob had two wives. The, one, uh, the name of one was Ra- uh, Rachel and the other, name of the other was Leah. Leah bore Jacob seven sons and every time she had a baby by him she said, maybe now my husband will love me. Now, there's proof text that lust is not love. She was having babies by this man. She said, maybe he'll love me now. But he never did until the very end of life. And that's a separate sermon. I'll deal with that some other time. But lust is not love. Put now this woman out from me. And then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. Get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. And she said unto him, There is no cause. Now look here in verse 17. Then he called his servant and ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. I don't want to take a chance on her getting back in here. I don't want to see her anymore. And she had a garment of divers colors upon her for what... Such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins appareled. Then his servants brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of divers colors that was on her. And laid her hand on her head and went out crying. And Absalom her brother said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Remain standing, if you will. Let me refer to the text and bring a simple message that I believe can be a help to all of us tonight. Amnon was King David's son. Amnon fell lusting for his own sister Tamar. The truth of the matter is, she was his half-sister but he thought it hard to do anything to her for several different reasons I'll point out in a moment. But he had a friend named Jonadab. And Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very subtle man. I want to call your attention to verse number 3, the first five words in that verse. But Amnon had a friend. I want you to see that. But Amnon had a friend. But Amnon had a friend. But Amnon had a friend. When I leave this place tonight, I hope that that little phrase will not only be remembered by you, but I pray that that little phrase will have become a part of your life and a part of your thinking. When I've preached the same church 31 years. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night almost without exception. Once in a while, somebody will take my place, but that's right. I've preached outside of that church service years. Oh, 41 years I've been preaching. I've never been here before. You can imagine how many sermons I would like to preach tonight. You can imagine. That's the reason I told Brother Steve. I think I got it narrowed down to four that I want to preach tonight. But here's what I preach. You say, out of all the sermons you preach in your church, what do you preach when you go out in other places? Here's what I preach. I preach what gets me. I figure what gets me will get somebody else. And there's a half a dozen sermons above all sermons that have become a part of my life and thinking. This is one of them. But Amnon had a friend. But Amnon had a friend. But Amnon had a friend. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'll bless us now as we preach the Bible. I want to thank You, Lord, for Thy Word. A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. I pray right now, Heavenly Father, that You'll work in a wonderful way as we preach the Bible. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, please. Look up this way and give me your undivided attention. Amnon had a father. Boy, did he ever have a father. When you said King David, you had said it all. Amnon's father was the sweet singer of Israel, the leader of the greatest army that ever marched, and the one who will set on the throne in the kingdom, regent with the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. When you said David, you said it all. I mean, his father was the one that wrote the Lord is thy shepherd, and I shall not want. His father was the one that said, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. His father was the one that wrote the Psalms. And when he thought about his father, when he was tempted to commit this horrible sin of fornication with his own sister, when he thought about that, he thought about his father. And when he thought about who his daddy was, it stopped him. And he would have said God. But he had a friend. But he had a friend. But he had a friend, had a friend named Joderdal. And Joderdal was a very subtle man. Amnon had trained him. Amnon knew the law. And the Bible says, wherewith shall the young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to God's word. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And when Amnon thought about the word of God, and the word of God come like a mighty sword to stop him, he did. Stop and he would have oh. But he had a friend. But he had a friend named Jodadab and Jodadab was a very subtle name. Emden had a reputation. Emden had a name. The Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and letting favor more than silver and gold. Take a lifetime, Brother Steve, to build a good name. Brother Steve, you have a good name. You seem good, but the most valuable thing about you is your name. I'm not pretty, and I don't consider myself to be a real good preacher, but I do have a good name. I've worked hard to have a good name. I've got a good name ecclesiastically. That means as far as my church relationship, as far as my conservative fundamentalism, I've got a good name. I've got a good name as far as my personal status and traditions. I've got a good name as far as my personal life and my, the way I conduct myself in relationship to other people. I worked hard at it. The pastor, I could stop at one place for 15 minutes between here and the motel tonight and tear down everything that's taken me 41 years. And there's not a preacher in America that won't have me back in your church, let 15 minutes. 15 minutes.
1: I mean, when he thought about his
0: name, it stopped him. And he would have stayed stopped. But he had a friend. But he had a friend named Jonadab. And Jonadab was a very, very subtle man. Ammon had a conscience. Con- somebody said your conscience, that little sharp thing, it gets in the way when well, you want to do something and it won't let you do it. Your conscience bothers you. And your conscience can be dulled or sharpened depending on what you do with it. And Ammon had never committed this kind of a sin before in his life to our knowledge. By the way. Hey, all of us. Just because you never have doesn't mean you can't or never will. Put that down. Just because you never have doesn't mean you can't or never will. But he has never done anything this vile and wicked before with anyone but his own little sister. And he's caught, the Bible says he thought it hard to do anything too we can understand that, don't we? He's not at heart. And his conscience got the work. And his conscience stopped him. And he wouldn't have stayed But he had a friend. But he had a friend named Jonadab, And Jonadab was a very subtle man. Now he's got a little sister. He can't live a normal life. She remained desolate in her brother absolutely you know what that means? She never got married. She never fell in love. She never could have home and children and the normal joys that God kids for a young lady to have. Want to know why her life was ruined? Because her brother Amnon had a friend. He had a friend. He had a friend named Jonadab. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And not only that, Amnon himself now has got to die her early death. He's got to go to a grave and lay there in a stone-cold grave. With, because his brother Absalom murders him for raping his sister Tamar. Now he's got to die an unnecessary young death because he's got a friend. He's got a friend. He's got a friend, got a friend named Joseph. And now Absalom pleads for his life right to keep Jason from putting himself death under Jewish law, which led to his rebellion, which led to his death with his long, rebellious hair hanging in the forks of a great young tree. Want to know why? Because his brother Amnon had a friend. He had a friend. You show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. Amen. You show me your friends and I'll show you what you are right tonight or what you soon shall be. If there is one truth as truth, for this. If there is one truth as true as the law of gravity that says if I turn that a loose, it's going to fall. It's this truth right here. Now listen to me. It's the truth that you cannot have a friend without that friend affecting you one way or the other. The Bible says in Amos 3.3, Can two walk together except they be agreed? No, they cannot. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 13, verse number 20. and then what you do tonight you go downtown here to where that doper, that woman standing on the street corner with blue marks up and down her arm, a main liner now that's the old cocaine, and you say, Hey, I want to hear about the first fix <clears throat> you ever had. And she says, Huh? Oh, my first encounter with drugs? Yeah, I want to hear about it. You know what she'll say? Let's oh, see. The first one, I was only 12 years old. And I knew this girl at school, and she knew this guy. That's right. But she had a friend. That's right. But she had a friend. But she had a friend. Hey, go down to jail tonight. He's sitting in there with his eyes so bloodshot, looks like a roadmap. He slammed a a bar stool through the bar window last night and got thrown in the slammer for throwing a fit in the bar drunk. He'd say, hey. Yeah. Tell me about your first drink. Of what? Uh, Of anything alcoholic. Give me beer? beer? Yeah, beer! Yeah. Help! Me. Oh, man, it's sick. I wasn't years old. I jumped into my buddy's house next door, and his mom and dad was going to me. I mean, that's I mean, right. We'll show right. you what he got in right. the refrigerator. Come here. Right. The old refrigerator, and there was a big old can of Budweiser there. Right. there. Damn it. Yeah! But he had a friend. If you go over to this room tonight, that house smoked, and somebody's still trying to get me there. Nine out of seven of you that ever smoked your first cigarette was with a friend. Would you pick somebody that cooperated with you, that influenced you, and you smoked a cigarette together and you know that is the truth? You go down your... Listen, Amnon was shady. Uh, Jonadab was shady, so Amnon became a shady character. Jonadab was subtle, sneaking, so Amnon became sneaky. Jonadab was... Filthy-minded, so Amnon became filthy-minded. Jonadab was perverted, so Amnon became perverted. You show me your friend, I'll show you what you are and what you soon shall be. And you will not escape. I mean, this is for young people and old people and single people and men. Ma- and big people, and visitors, and members, and preachers, and deacons, and everybody tonight. I'm saying this for everybody. You show me your friends, I'll show you the direction your heart is looking. I remember years ago, Brother Steve, I don't know if I ever told you this. Years ago, we had a woman, and my daughter will know who this is. Years ago, we had a woman in our church that was a wonderful Christian she was she she was, tw- uh, 20. she was in her late 20s. Dressed right, lived right, taught at the Christian school where we busped our children, the Christian school. Lives in the country near Westchester and boarded her horse next door where an old man was, seven years old. And they became friends. she married Seven years she married They just became free. Just became free. And by the way, she was a woman. Well, shouldn't have married anybody. Right. Shouldn't have married anybody. I mean, Amos three three, can two walk together except they be agreed? Let me tell you something. I know a woman came to see me one time, a faithful member of the church, and she still is. Thank God she escaped, and I'll tell you how she escaped. But she came to see me one time, and she said, I, don't, I mean, here's a woman who went on this station. Here's a woman that worked like a dog in many hours in our church. And she came one time, and she said to me, she said, I don't know the Lord, I don't know the Lord, the Lord is, and the Lord has all the strength, and the dark and been I looked at her, just stepped across the desk room, I looked at her, called her name, and I said, have you been criticizing me? I got I she said, what do you mean? I said, I meant what I said. Have you been criticizing me and why I do things here and why I make the decisions that this church I do? She stared at me. Have you been, and I just I mean, I was blind. I said, have you been saying, why would you have to vote over this? And why would you vote over that? And I don't know why. Have you had a nasty, critical experience about the way things have been going around here lately? She was scared. And I was scared. right back in her eyeballs. And I said, would you like me to tell you how I made you laugh? And she wouldn't like this. <laughs> I said, I know you have, because I know what will come to talk about.'" I said, you cannot hang out with that woman without having a critical attitude. You see, folks, people, whatever you got, send out to you. Critical period that the people have radar control. They know each other, but they need each other. I said, I know where your cards are. Whatever you got is contagious. You hang around. Praising people, you'll praise the Lord. You hang around critical people, you'll be critical. You hang around people that say, I love this church. You'll love this church. You hang around people that say, do we have a wonderful pastor. You'll feel the same way. You hang around people that come on Wednesday night and Sunday night as well as Sunday morning. You'll come on Wednesday night and Sunday night as well as Sunday morning. You are right now or you soon shall be what your friends are. Hey, mamas and daddies, who are your friends? I'm speaking to some of you ladies. And you've got a sister that's either not saved or she's the world and she wouldn't know God from a hole in the backyard. And you come to church, this fundamental church, that preaches dress standards and preaches conduct and, and she thinks you're stupid for coming here. And you can't live for God because that woman is a governor on your life that hinders you from living for God. I think you ought to get along with your brothers and sisters, even if they're lost or drunkards or whoever they are. But I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to the people you spend time with and hang out with, you are going to become just like them. And you need to understand that. Some of you fellows have your buddies at church and then you've got your friends outside of church. We all live in this world. We have to go work jobs where they cuss and tell dirty jokes. But friend, I'm going to tell you, that crowd's not who we fellowship with when work is over. Some of you have to, by the necessity of your situation, have to go to schools where they don't love the Lord. But when school's over, you better be calling somebody in your church that does love the Lord. I'm saying you are right now or you soon shall be What your friends are. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Hey, by the way, parents, who are your children's friends? Who are your children's friends? Who are your children's friends at school? Uh, I'm thinking now of um, of a a girl who uh, came to our church and she was faithful and she had a good attitude, but all of a sudden she got a rotten attitude. And her mother and dad said, I don't know what in the world's happened to her. She just got in a rotten attitude. And I stepped up on the Christian school bus to have prayer one morning before they left to drive 35 miles to another church that has a Christian school and take care of our Christian education for us. And I am smart to do that. But anyway, and, uh, and, and you know, when I stepped on, on the bus, sitting in the back of the bus was this teenage girl. This had been some years ago. This teenage girl... And she was sitting beside of the only girl in our church that still listened to rock music, that had a rotten attitude. And I knew that that mother and daddy was fighting a losing battle for their daughter as long as she was hanging out with that girl. I knew that. Thank God they put the pressure on. She made the break and is now married to a fine young man and is faithful in an independent Baptist church in Nebraska. But I'm just simply saying this. Who are your children's friends? Who are your children's friends? Let me tell you something. Children, I mean, I'm not just talking teenagers. I'm talking of a 10-year-old, 7-year-old, 9-year-old, 11-year-old. You go to school, I don't care if it's a Christian school, public school, home school, you name it, I doesn't matter a bit. If you go to school, if you have somebody there, That's not right with God. They've got a critical attitude. Their parents make decisions and they don't like it. So they share it with you. And I don't know why my mom and dad have to be so narrow. You're going to become just like that. You're going to become just like that. But I'm going to tell you something. You hang out with people that say, you know, I don't know why mom and dad make some of the decisions they do, but I thank God I've got parents. God gave me parents that love me, and they would not deliberately hurt me, and I'm going to trust them. I may not see it all, but I'm going to trust them. You hang out with people like that. That's the way you go And you are going to be just like the people you hang around. Who are your children's friends at school? Who are your children's friends at church? Oh, but we have got a fundamental, independent, soul winning, spiritual, God loving church. Yeah, I know. I got one too. I've got one too. But who are your children's friends at church? Hmm? I mean, that's up. Let me tell you what you can do, preacher. You, how old is your son? By the way, I'm running run How old is it? Seven. Seventeen. looking Hmm. It's never been on? Oh, that's a problem. Okay, now we'll do that. All right, okay. Well, I was so close to this. It was speaking up. And that's what it was. Uh, is it on now? I think it is on now, isn't it? It's on now. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you can take a boy when he is 10 years old, and you can say, son, now look, there's things you play with and things you don't, and one of the things you don't is an automobile. If you want to race, get on a, get on a go-kart. If you want to race, get on the racetrack but don't race on the highway. Drive responsibly. And, uh, and so you can teach him that from the age of 10 to the age of 16. But when he's 16, he gets his license. And the first night he's out with some boy in the church or boys in the church, good kids, and you're going down the road, and your son's driving. And the boy in the back says, Hey, Joe! Put the pedal to the metal. Let's go down the road one time. What do you say? You What was that? Drop the hammer, man. Let's see what this crate will do. You mean speed? Do we mean speed? What do you think we mean? Oh, man, I couldn't do that. My dad would kill me. Oh, we got a daddy's boy tonight. And I bet he's a mama's boy too. I bet he goes home and knits and crochets at night with mommy. Come on, man. You act like we're daddy haters or something. I mean, you act like that. We hate our mamas and daddies. Man, look, you've got a straight road, a clean road. We're not talking about tearing around all night. Just let's just see what it'll do one time. Even the manual says you ought to blow the carburetor out now and then. Now, listen, you laugh and I laugh. But I'm going to tell you something. Fifteen minutes of that kind of influence stacked up against 16 years of a godly daddy's influence. And guess what? 16 years will crumble and fall under the power of 15 minutes with the wrong kind of a friend. The power of a friend is the most powerful force on the face of planet Earth. A godly mother can train and teach a daughter to be pure and, and discreet, and respectable around the opposite sex, but you let her get a friend that is not right in her or his heart, and it won't be long till everything that godly mother has done in all those years will fall in a pile at the influence of the wrong kind of friend. I'm just saying, who are your children's friends at church? who are your children's friends at school. I, I mean, listen, uh, uh, Dick Seaton, does that name ring a bell? You know, Dick Seaton preached in my church years ago. Dick Seaton said, I was preaching in a church, the first time I ever helped a revival in the church, said I was preaching, and said in the middle of my sermon, a 25-year-old boy on the back row, all of a sudden pulled his legs up in the pew, stuck his knees up under his chin, and went... He said, when I saw him, I knew he wasn't a whole biscuit. I knew he wasn't in the program. I knew he was mentally off. He said, I finished a sermon. The pastor came up to him and said, Brother, did you see the boy on the back row? He said, did I see I couldn't miss him. He said, who is that kid? And the pastor said, that's my son. He said, your son? He said, my son. He said, let me tell you about him. Brother Seton, he said, best boy that a parent ever had. Never gave us a second struggle. Never disobeyed us one time. Good attitude. But he began to hang out with a couple of boys in the church that we knew weren't right. He tried to tell us they were right, but we knew better. By the way, Parents can sense things that young people can never sense. He said, we knew better. And he said, Pastor, he was out with those boys one night. And one time, just one time, he took LSD. He said it left him like that. And he said, he will be, he's got the mind of a three-year-old. And the doctor says he'll be that way the rest of his life. He overdosed on LSD one time. You want to know why? He had a friend. He had a friend. He had a friend. He had a friend. Who are your children's friends? Some of you cannot live for God because you have a force and influence like a filter that governs anything even God wants to say to you. Anything that God wants to tell you. And you cannot receive it because the influence and the power of that friend has totally blinded you. Who are your friends? By the way, even preachers. I've seen preachers fall because of friends. I've seen preachers that were independent, fundamental, premillennial men separated from the world drift into liberalism. And even, I'm thinking now, brother Steve of a fellow if I called his name you'd know it who was out of Dr. Curtis Hudson's church went to Howells Anderson College they chose him to travel with a with a a tour group and preach he preached in my church I had him preach more than one time in my church a dynamo of a young man started associating with some people like John MacArthur and others who are not of our stripe and not of our conviction and not of our standards And after preaching standards like he did, pulled the name Baptist down off his church, got worldly music in, started having charismatics come in, and even got up, and some of my members had visited there not knowing the church had begun to drift. It was in our state too, in Des Moines. And it was there, and he got up and he says, you know, I used to preach against women wearing shorts. I think my wife looks good out here in a pair of shorts. Now that's what he, I mean, that, you know, we will tell you the problem, Brother friends, influences. I am very careful. Look, I know there's some preachers who preach some good things, but I'm not going to listen to them. Because it's the things that they're not right on that's going to influence me. I am the type of preacher. I I dial the type person I am and the type preacher I am by the choices I make and the sermons I listen to, the preachers I emulate, the places I go, and the people that I let influence me. You see, I'm not smarter than God about this business. God tells me, can two walk together except they be agreed? The obvious answer is no. I don't hang around dead preachers. I get dead. I don't listen, by the way, on the other end of the spectrum, I, I'm I'm against everything that's wrong, but some preachers are so critical. And they, they they get on issues and don't get off of issues. They never preach anything that would edify anybody or help anybody or build up anybody and they've done got ugly and bitter I don't hang around them either. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to catch that. I don't want to be like that. I mean, this is for preachers, preachers' wives, this is for old folks, young folks, this is for new Christians, old Christians. This is for everybody. Who are your friends? Who's your girlfriend, boy? Is she that girl that puts on those britches so tight if one thread broke, the whole thing would go? Hmm. Struts around in her short shorts in the summertime. Goes down here to this public uh, swimming place and... Strips off and not enough clothes on to clean out the barrel of a 10 gauge shotgun. Is that your girlfriend? You say, Pastor, that don't bother me. Well, I don't shake my hand if that don't bother you. I don't want to shake your hand. I don't want to shake hands with nobody if that don't bother. No, sirree. Either you're a funny boy or you're a liar or you ain't normal, man. There's something wrong with you. Who's your girlfriend? Who's your boyfriend? Is he that cocky dude that comes in, shirt unbuttoned down to his navel, britches hanging, have, got britches so baggy you could drop a Mack truck in the seat of him. enough chains hanging around him, tie for a herd of bull elephants? Is that your boyfriend? Honey, if that's your boyfriend, you ought to have somebody lead you out the door by the hand tonight into the car. No more sense than you got in a car, liable to run over you and kill you in the parking lot. No more sense than you got. Did you know that? But I'm gonna help him. I know he don't get along with his mom and dad, and I know he's got some problems. I'm gonna help you. Oh, no, honey, you're not gonna help him. He's gonna help himself. That's what he's gonna do. And you're gonna be a little fool when it's all you're gonna be you're gonna be the little fool when it's all over. Who's your boyfriend? He's Come strutting in his shirt and hat. Three hairs sticking out, right? They're really not his hairs. He super glued them there off his German Shepherd dog, you know, and he's trying to impress people with it. Is that your boyfriend? Who are your friends in the books you read? You say, boy, I don't go to the hell holes. You don't have to. You read the books. You can go places and participate in things. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Who are your friends in the books you read? Who are your friends on the television, television, vision Who are your friends? That's the question. No, I can look at a person and tell how much television they've been to. in. Teenagers especially. Who are your friends on the internet? The dirty internet. Eric Capace said, I was standing in a Baptist preacher's office not long ago. Dr. Eric Capace, Hot Springs Army, said I was standing in a Baptist preacher's office. Said I looked at him and said, How often does Mona visit your office? He said, What? He said, How often does Mona visit your office? He said, Mona? He said, Yeah, Mona. He said, What you talking about? He said, That. Preacher turned around and looked in some face of some old Obviously, sleazy slut, come up. Says hi. My name's Mona. Want to see more of me? Log on here. He said, How often does Mona visit your office? He said, Oh, good night. We got to get that off there. Preachers, we can't have Mona in our office. Mona can't visit our office. We can't have Mona in our office. And I'm gonna tell you, sir. Well, <laughs> I'm uh, I, I'm stronger than that. Well, you're an idiot. No, you're not. Flee you for less. Run, run. Get away from stuff like that. Don't, don't expose yourself to it. Don't have it around you. I'm, I, next month, April, well this month, excuse me, this is April. April 29th, the 29th of the month, I'll be 59 years old. And I'm pure and have been that way all my life. When I married my wife, I was a virgin, she was a virgin, and I've lived that way. We've been true to each other for 33 years of marriage. You say, how'd you manage that? It was no accident. It was deliberate. It was on purpose. It was planned. I live by certain principles of actions, deed, and and thought life. I live by that all the time. I run from certain things. I stay away from certain things. You said, well, preacher, I'd hate to think I was so weak that I couldn't watch a little of this and a little of that. Hey, let me tell you something. Dr. Capazzi continued. He was telling me this. He said, I talked to a pastor the other day that took a Baptist church. Now, I want you to hear this. Question. I talked to a pastor the other day that took a Baptist church. And this Baptist church, before they voted this man in, they said, Pastor, would you sign a statement that you would never have Internet in the church? Now, I'm not, I don't have internet. If you do, it's fine. Now, I'm, I'm not saying there's firewalls, there's safety nets you can put on them and so forth. Fine. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you what he said. He said, will you sign a statement? You'll never have the internet in the church. And this pastor said, well, yeah, I can do that. But evidently, you folks have had a problem. They said, yes, pastor, we have the last three pastors. The last three pastors we've had... We had to get rid of them because they were caught with pornography on the internet. Now, how critical are you of that church? Now, how radical do you think that church is? Now, how narrow do you think that church is? I mean, three strikes and you're out, folks. I'm just saying, who are your friends? Who's your boyfriend? Who's your girlfriend? I, have a, I preached this sermon in a college years ago, Bible college. And I got this letter. I'm going to read it to you. Dear Pastor Brown, this is the actual letter. It's a typewritten letter. It's quite lengthy. It says, Greetings to you from Hagerstown, Maryland. I want to thank you for your faithfulness in preaching the Bible. I want you to know that you made a difference in my life. After graduating from high school, I enrolled in and called the name of the Bible college to study Bible and do missionary training. On a couple of months before leaving, I met a guy. He said he loved the Lord and he was a soul winner. I was very impressed and we began a friendship that grew quickly. We became very fond of each other and went on group outings. I thought he was such a wonderful guy. My parents, on the other hand, were suspicious and discouraged our friendship. Up to this point in my life, I'd always obeyed and respected and loved my parents. Now I resented them and longed to be with my, quote, friend, end of quote. I began to rebel. My relationship with Jesus suddenly became distant. My friend disliked my parents and their rules. He tried to convince me that my parents were wrong in raising me so close and that it was time that I did what I wanted to do. Other friends at church agreed with that my parents were too involved in my decisions and that they were a little peculiar. I thought I loved him and that he loved me. I thought my mother and father were judgmental and unfeeling. My mother was hoping I would forget about him and eagerly helped me to prepare for to leave for college. In the fall, I left to begin my missionary service. I hoped my friend would decide to be a missionary too. During opening revival meetings at Bible College, you were one of the guest speakers. You preached from 2 Samuel chapter 13, and your message was entitled, Amnon Had a Friend. It seemed like you knew all about my life. I've never in my life up to that point heard that type of preaching. The precious Holy Spirit began to work in my life. I fought it at first because I thought I loved my friend from back home so much. Finally, tears began to flow down my cheeks. I knelt down at the altar and asked the Lord to forgive me. I knew that if I were to continue my friendship with this boy, I'd end up just like Amnon did in the Bible. Jesus forgave my rebellious heart, and I went straight to my dorm room when the service was over. I called my mother, as you had suggested in your sermon. I asked her and my dad's forgiveness. Afterwards, I telephoned my friend and told him it was over between him and I forever. My parents were thrilled, with our and our relationship uh, with them, and Jesus has been sweeter ever since that day. Years have passed by, and I still will never forget the sermon you preached. I vowed to God I'd never marry anyone unless my parents' blessing uh, was on it, and I would save my first kiss for that wedding day. Now I'm engaged to the most godly man in all of this world. My parents are so happy. My future husband and I are going to serve Jesus as missionaries on the foreign field. If it had not been for the preaching of the Word of God that night, my life, would have been in shambles. My life is filled with more joy and happiness than I ever dreamed possible this side of heaven. Keep preaching the Bible as you did back then because preaching changes lives. I know it changed my life. How can I thank you for the difference you made in my life? Not to mention my fiancé's life and the countless souls that will believe on Jesus in Central America. My mother would rather you not mention my name, thankfully in Christ, and then she signs her name. And at her mother's request, I would not call her name And you're not close enough to see the name, but there's the girl and the fellow she married several years ago. And for years, they have been missionaries planning churches in Mexico. And it all happened during this sermon you're hearing right here when she decided... I'm going to obey my parents, live, die, sink, swim, get fat or die skinny. I'm going to obey my parents. I'm going to break with this friend that I know is not good for me. I'm going to do God's will if I cry, if I have a broken heart, no matter what happens. And she wept and cried and began to sob and got it settled. And she's got the rest of her life to be happy about it. And if she had not done it, she'd have the rest of her life to be sad and broken hearted about it. I'm just simply saying Amnon had a friend. Who are your friends? Who are your friends? Who are your friends? Well, I preached long enough. Let me give you a couple of things and close the sermon. Now listen to me very carefully. One night, true story, one night, two boys pulled up in a driveway to pick up a girl. Showed what she was, didn't it? They pulled up in the driveway to pick up a girl. And instead of the girl coming out, her daddy came out. He came walking out and he leaned over and said, Boys, I know why you're here. And you've just leaving that. She's not going to leave tonight, tomorrow night, next week, next month, or next year. So you leave. They stared at him, glared at him, started the car and backed out the driveway. And when they backed out and started to leave, they put the pedal to the metal and they threw rocks all up in his yard and burnt rubber down the road and they were boiling. And they went down the forks of the road and turned around and sat there cussing. And they decided they'd go by his house again. And they went by and the guy doing the driving rolled the window down and screamed obscenities at the house, cursed him, Called him dirty names. Then they went downtown. They were cruising the fours downtown. True story. Watch me. There was a boy. A good boy. Boy didn't cuss. Boy didn't hang out with bad girls. Walking along Saturday afternoon. Bored. Bored. Car swerved over and stopped by the curb. The two boys said, hey, I don't know his name. We'll call him Joe for the sake of the illustration. Hey, Joe, get in. The boy that was a passenger got out and let Joe in the middle. They drove off. He said, where are we going? They said, I oh, don't know. We thought we knew and our plans got changed for the night. They drove on out of the edge of town by this man and girl's house again. And when they drove by that time, the boy driving... He thought he'd make one more pass at the house. He rolled the window down and began to scream and curse again. Hey, you old blankety blanket Use filthy language and dirt! Hey, you old sorry blankety man." See, he didn't know. Neither did his friend know. At the last time they went by and cursed, the fellow had all he was going to take. And he was standing behind an evergreen bush with a thirty aught 6 And when he put the pedal to the metal that time and pulled out, this fellow stepped out from behind the bush and raised that rifle. Pow! Shot in the back glass. Guess who died? Who guessed it? It said that bullet made a little old hole about the size of the end of your thumb where it went in the back. And it knocked out about half his heart on the front of his body. It's a bulge of his heart sitting on the outside of his body. And he dropped down, blood pulsating out of his body, his nerves twitching his body. And his blood ran out in the pool and the floorboard of the car. And out yonder tonight in a stone cold grave somewhere is a boy. We don't really know his name. And we don't really know what they put on his tombstone. Someday, if I ever find anybody that can verify who he was, I want to go visit the grave. But if you would put the truth on that boy's tombstone, here's what you'd write. Here lies Joe. He was a good boy. He would be alive. But he had a friend. 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 I'm going to tell you about my friend and then we're going to give the invitation. They pulled a bag down over his head and they beat him until when they took the bag off his visage was so marred he didn't even look like a man. They took him to Pilate's whipping post and beat his back until Unger's Bible Dictionary said it wasn't uncommon for a man's intestines to be laying on the ground after the Roman scourge. They said that it was strands of flesh hanging by both sides and exposed bone on his back. And they didn't lay a silver or a gold cross or a smooth cross down on his back. They laid a splintered old rugged cross on his back and he fell beneath the cross. And I followed him a bloody mile. And every time he'd take a step, that cross would shift on his back. And those nerves would stand up and dance. And the blood is gushing out his mouth where all of his teeth now have been beat out of socket. His eyes are so swollen and the blood draining from his head. The crown of thorns, those long Palestinian thorns, have have stuck in and turned out. It came in on the skull and turned out. Long old Palestinian toes. He's falling beneath the cross, staggering. You can trace him by the blood. And now he's up Calvary's heel, and when they get ready to crucify him, he stretches that sinless hand out. Everybody in shock looks as he stretches the hand out, and a big Roman soldier sets a spike that tall. Those spikes are around nine inches tall, and set that spike on that hand, and drew back and bang, hit that spike, and it blew through that hand. And I can hear leaders and tendons and muscles and joints tear and break and burst as that spike goes through that hand, and rich, dark, red, sinless sinless blood spurts up and dreams down that arm. And now the other hand freely given, and now the feet, and they raise him up, and they drop him in that hole. And when they drop him in that hole, I can hear his groan as every joint in his body goes out of joint. And he can't catch his breath. Because most people, contrary to what you think, most people, the actual cause of death was suffocation on the cross. They couldn't breathe. And so when, he, when they raised the cross and dropped it in, I could hear those leaders and tendons and muscles tearing, break. And when he caught his breath, he looked at me and through eyes of faith. I could hear him say, Larry, I'm doing this because I want to be with you. But he couldn't breathe, and so he went, and he caught a breath. But he couldn't hold it. It was too weak, so he dropped. And every time he did, I could hear those bones breaking. And he'd look at me through those weary eyes and he'd say, Larry, blood now running from his Face and I, Larry, I'm doing this because I want to be with you. And by faith, I stood and I watched him. I was 18 years old, a little peanut-brain rock and roll singer. At 18 years, number, teenager said to me, "Did they have rock and roll when you were a teenager?" Yeah, just came out. Elvis. I saw Elvis when he premiered on the Ed Sullivan Show. I'm ancient, folks, and. Uh, And, yeah, they had rock and roll, Paul Anker, the Everly Brothers, Elvis, all of them, Fabian, names you kids wouldn't know. But I was 18 years old, and I stood and by faith watched him drag his back up and down that old rugged cross until every drop of his sinless blood had been shed for me. And I heard him say a hundred times, Larry, I'm doing this because I want to be your friend. And I made a decision. Live, die, sink, swim, get fat or die skinny. I'll live for Jesus day after day. I want you. Let me tell you a secret that most of you don't know. I want you to like me. I'm normal. I want you to like me. I want you to like me. I want you to like my preaching. I want you to like me. I hope you do but I would make every one of you mad to please Him. I'd forsake everybody in the world to please Him. And I told the Lord that shortly after I got saved. And I remember so many things. I just pull out one. And I've got to quit preaching now. I'm about done. But I, I remember I was praying in my dormitory room. I'd been called to preach. Just started to preach. Man, I, I'm so... On fire for the Lord. And I loved Him so much. And I remember reconfirming my commitment to Him in uh, in a dormitory room on Spruce Street, Piedmont Bible College years ago. And I said, uh, Lord, if there is anything in my life that You want, You can have. If there's any place you want somebody to go, nobody to go, call me, I'll go. If there's anything you want done, call me, I'll do it. It don't matter what it is. You want to put me in Liberia, West Africa? Fine. Uh, you want, whatever you want, I'll do it. And I made that commitment. And I got up. And, and I was in a hurry. I meant it when I prayed, but I would not expect him to face the result of that decision so quick. And I was in a hurry, had my books laying on my bed, and I got up to Russia in the first class. And when I stood up, I looked across the room. And across the room, just on the other side of my bed, was that metal, baked enamel chest of drawers. And on that was an 8.5 by 11 picture of her. She was beautiful. She was young. She was saved. She was independent Baptist. She was a Christian. But she wasn't the will of God for my life, and I knew it. And when I saw that picture, my heart died. And here's what happened. Watch me now. My heart died. And the Lord said, "Were you just talking, or did you really mean it? W- were you just were you just blubbering words, or do you really mean what you say when you pray? I surrender all." I stared at that pr- picture just for a moment. Walked around the bed, reached and got it, laid it in the drawer, went over and opened the closet door. I'll never forget this, Brother Opened the closet door and I took out a metal box that had 102 letters that she had written me in response to 103 I'd written her. 102 letters in that box. And I went outside. It was raining that day. I'll never forget it. Outside the door They're in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I, I took my umbrella and I pushed the umbrella up and I went out there and I got down on my knees and it was muddy And I opened that metal box and I pulled out all 102 of those letters and I laid them on the ground and I struck a match to them. And I stayed there and watched it burn and held the umbrella over it to keep the water from putting it out until I had enough flame I needed to burn and until the smoke was about to stifle me. And I backed off of it. And I walked back in the dorm and I took the umbrella down and I started down the hallway. And the devil come crawling up my shoulder. And he leaned over In my ear he said, you fool. What do you have now to live for? And I said to the devil, get out of here, devil. I have the Lord to live for. And I'm so glad God gave me the grace to make that decision. That's been 30, well, it's been 40 years ago. A little over 40 years ago. And God has blessed me and God will bless you if you will sing and say I surrender all and make wise choices about friends. Let's by our heads in prayer. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one looking around. Life is not easy if you live it right, but God will give you grace to live it right. Let me make that statement again. Life is not easy if you live it right, but God will give you grace to live it right. Why isn't it easy? Because you're in a body that's still lost. The the soul is saved, but that body is as unconverted as it ever was. You've got a sinful nature that never left. Only as you yield to the Holy Spirit can you have victory over that flesh and that sinful nature. It's not easy. You're in a world that is totally unconducive to living a Christian life. Everywhere you look and everywhere you go, it's in your face, sin, temptation, opposition. And not only that, from within you comes all kinds of impulses to think wrong, act wrong, be wrong, and have rotten attitudes. I'm telling you, it's not easy to live right, but God will give you grace. And when He gives you grace and you make that full surrender, You'll find a wonderful peace and a wonderful victory. Trust me, I know, I know. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. I wonder how many folks are here, and you'd say, Pastor Brown, I heard that message night, and I didn't just hear it with my ears. I heard it in my heart. I heard God saying something to me tonight. And I've got some decisions to make. And God knows I do. And by the grace of God, I want to make them tonight. And I'm not, you, you, you don't have to tell me what they are. It's between you and God. But you, but you say, I'm, I want to make those decisions tonight. And I want you to pray for me. God spoke to me while you were preaching tonight. If God spoke, hands are already going up. Will you raise yours if God spoke to you? There's, yes, God bless you. How about others? Hold them up high. If God spoke to you. Put those hands up right now if God spoke to you. Ask God, bless you, I see those hands. Now let me ask this question. How many folks are here tonight? You would say, Pastor Brown, I do not know for sure if I died right now I'd go to heaven. Do you realize that if you died tonight that you'd be burning in the flames of hell before morning? And there's nothing anybody in the universe could do to help that, including God. How many is here and you say, Pastor Brown, I do not know for sure if I died right now. Go to heaven. Pray for me. Slip your hand up. Hold it up. I, I don't know for sure. Yes, ma'am. There's an honest woman. Somebody else, slip up that, your hand. A small child and another one. Somebody else, slip up that hand right now. If God has spoken to you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you tonight. I don't know for sure if I died. Go to heaven. Now let me say to you, if you raised your hand just a moment, you come, we'll have somebody take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Would you like to do that? Yeah. You can come on right now. That's right. You don't have to be. You don't have to be a member of this church. As a matter of fact, we'd love for you to come and we're good. And one of these ladies gonna to talk to you about the matter of knowing for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. That's good. How about somebody else? Will you come right now? Just slip out wherever you are and will you come? Right now, just do it. Just do it. If you raised your hand, why don't you come right now? That's good. How about it? Will you come? Just slip out and come. All right. Now all of you Christians have raised their hands. Raise your hands. You ought to come. You ought to be honest with God. You ought to come. Just slip out and come right now. Will you stand right now? Everybody stand. You just come. The Lord began to play the invitation.